Hi, screen testers. It's Susan. Before we get started, apologies that this week's episode is so late. We've been hard at work on a real website for Screen Test of Time, which we'll be launching along with our next episode for Casablanca. David and I are also going to be taking a little break for a few weeks for the first time in two and a half years, but we will be back. In the meantime, please wear a mask, wash your hands, continue social distancing, and feel free to enjoy some back episodes of Screen Test of Time while you're staying at home. Proceed with the following operations as ordered. One, give us a kiss. Two, chuck us another mum sandwiches. Three, cheer up and remember this isn't a funeral, it's an honeymoon. And four, give us another kiss. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we have started the 1943 nominees with a... with... The, sup, the, the, uh, with in which we serve, which is something else. Nikki came in and saw the title and went, "Ah, yes, uh, to those who whomst are the servicemen." And honestly, that's a better title because <laughs> this movie starts with the line, "This is the story of a ship," which you texted me was bad news for me. But then it was even more irritating than a movie about a boat. Because it's a movie that's not about a boat, but loudly insists that it is over and over again. And it makes it actually quite confusing, because I kept thinking it was the story of this boat, and it's not. Yeah, taking the movie at its word, here's the story of this boat. It goes out at the start of World War II, and then it gets sunk. End of film. (laughs) There will be other boats. End of film. And it's this weird set of flashbacks structure so that the movie can go back to the sinking of this boat as like the single most important thing ever, 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 every five to ten minutes. But the actual story of this movie is just a bunch of small stories about all of these interchangeable servicemen on the boat that I cannot keep straight to save my fucking life. Yeah, or their families who... Honestly, I also can't keep straight to save my fucking life. Right, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there's definitely some women, some of them are mothers, some of them are wives, not entirely sure where each falls. Yeah, let's talk about Noel Coward for a while, because the central miscalculation of this film is Noel Coward playing Noel Coward in a Noel Coward movie about the drama of war. (laughs) Noel Coward in a Noel Coward film directed by Noel Coward, written by Noel Coward, with music by Noel Coward. You would think that would give him the freedom to stretch even the tiniest bit as an actor. But no, this is the most Noel Cowardy role in the history of the world, which is such a huge miscalculation for this type of movie, because it means you have no emotional center. My parents literally joked, yeah, Noel Coward's so weird casting, like, what does he do, wear tops and tails and drink martinis on the boat? And I'm like, yes! Yes, he does! Yeah, and one of the things that's very, very frustrating about this film is, because it's directed by Noel Coward, everyone speaks so fast, and none of the dialogue is clever to support that. I mean, eventually you kind of get used to it, but probably for the first half hour for me, it felt like the audio was on like one and a half times. Yeah, this is why I don't like Noel Coward. 
especially as a writer. As an actor, when you cast him in a movie where it's funny to have Noel Coward be a stiff upper lip guy, he's fine. As a sort of media personality of the early 20th century, whatever, sure. But like, as a writer, my thing with Noel Coward is he's the like a joke of cleverness. He writes this dialogue that has the structure of being snappy dialogue, but is actually nothing. <laughs> the height of that to me is Noel Coward's character's wife's long monologue about how, like, every wife of a Navy man knows that her husband's always more horny for the boat than he is for her. And, like, she takes forever to say it, and it is so overwritten and so supposed to be dramatic and such a well-written speech. And it's like, this is nonsense. You're saying nothing. Nothing you're saying makes any fucking sense. And you're. T this is five minutes of my life, just down the tube. It's also a very strange monologue because it kind of feels like it was written for a wife who has reluctantly accepted that she is in a polycule and is like, well, I love my husband. So I also love his girlfriend. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> and then the twist is that girlfriend's name was Boat. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck is any of this? It's not good. No. And here's the other thing about it is it's not even not good in the traditional way that we usually mean on screen test of time where something is silly or the premise is ridiculous or the acting is cheesy. It's very confusing because the boat sinks very early in the film and then there's a series of flashbacks and the flashbacks, it's not that you can't keep up with what's happening in the flashbacks and sort of what order they occur in. It's that I have no idea why the flashbacks have anything to do with the boat because they don't. The flashbacks are fleshing out the lives of various servicemen on the boat. But then the thing that occurred to me about 47 hours into this two-hour film <laughs> is that this movie has no faith in itself. That the reason you keep flashing forward to the boat being sunk is that the movie goes, but the only interesting thing here is the part where the boat gets sunk. And so we're going to structure the whole thing so that all of the human drama of these individual soldiers is framed in the boat sinking, the part you're here to see. And it's like, but that's five minutes of the movie, my man. Like, that isn't the story. It is trying to go, this isn't the story of a bunch of people. It's the story of the boat, because I think the boat is way cooler than the people. But it doesn't actually have a story for the boat. It wants to tell the story of the people, but wants everybody to watch the cool boat sinking part. Yeah. And it makes the movie deeply confusing and actually gives me a lot of respect for a temporal narrative as being much harder than we give it credit for. Because this movie is that criticism of that sort of structure. Mm -hmm. You start with the exciting thing and then flash back to the story. But it isn't compelling in any way, because it doesn't actually center the sinking of the boat. It just goes, remember the boat, and then goes back to the, just like, and now this guy's going on a date. 
and I think his girlfriend is a different person than his mom. I'm pretty sure his girlfriend is a different person than Wait, his mom. Wait, is his girlfriend someone else's mom? I don't know. Right. It's extremely confusing. Well, you know what it really gave me an appreciation for, which we'll have to talk about in a few years in more detail, but it really gave me an appreciation for Titanic. That makes sense to me. Because Titanic at the end of the movie and leading up to the end, because, you know, we all went into Titanic knowing that the boat sinks. Right. They managed to find two characters, focus on them and their whole thing. And it was like this grand 24 hour love affair or whatever. Yeah. But you also cared about other people on the ship and you also understood the structure of the ship and how class fitted into it and how the workers were on it and the difference between the people who were running the boat versus the people who were physically, literally running the boat, putting coal into it. So you had an affection for all of the people on the boat. I mean, like that old couple who you see holding each other as their room floods you never see them. You never hear them talk. They're like not characters. And yet that one moment is so gut-wrenchingly compelling. Well, I mean, Titanic is the story of a ship. Yeah. Like as much as it is a romance between two characters that was a sexual awakening for every teen girl for like 15 years. Also, Titanic is a movie about how everyone on that ship is a metaphor for that ship. Like that ship is a metaphor about class and hubris. And everyone on that ship is drawn into that narrative. Yes. And in this movie, the boat's just a fucking boat. It doesn't mean anything. I guess if you are a Navy person and that really deeply matters to you when a ship is sunk, like most of the crew survives. They say, you know, half of you went down with the ship and oh, those lucky half who can remain with her. And I'm like, I guess, but one, I didn't know any of those people because the two single characters who are on the ship that we ever know anything about are both alive. The other thing is like, I okay, what was so great about the boat? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Was it the biggest boat or the fastest boat or the boat? I mean, we don't, it was a boat. That's all we know. I, I occasionally, fitfully, am dropped into one of the Navy men's stories long enough to care about them. Like when the guy gets a telegram that says both that his son has just been born and his fellow serviceman's wife has been killed. I go, okay, I guess th I guess this guy is that guy and this guy is this other guy from another scene and I never put that together before. Honestly, that was the point at which I understood the relationship between the three women, because also his superior officer's mom was also killed. Yeah. That was the only point where I understood that there was any relationship between the three of them. I absolutely am on the same page, but I also, in that moment, went like, oh, okay, I actually care about these people. I have a sense of what they are fighting for and what they have lost. I never care about the fucking boat. The boat is, like, never- It's a boat. It's a boat. Like, I, I don't know what you want from me. It's a boat. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, this is one of those screen test of time movies 
where I would much rather watch a making of movie about the making of this movie because it was made with the assistance of the Ministry of Information. Noel Coward did this as a wartime propaganda film to help out Great Britain. And in that sense, it's kind of fascinating, but none of that stuff is on the screen. Right. The fascinating story is how this movie got made because the movie itself is just wildly boring because the constraint was this movie has to be a about a boat and Noel Coward goes okay I'll just say it's about a boat over and over again <laughs> well and what was really interesting is that the captain is Lord Lewis Mountbatten who was an extremely complicated figure his wife actually was really very fascinating and apparently I, I don't know if this is totally true but uh, apparently had an affair with Nehru and he was the last viceroy of India and they were around during the Indian uprising for independence but you know he was a complicated figure for pretty obvious reasons and he was not allowed to do anything that really focused on Mountbatten who was a fascinating figure but also was like maybe gay and there's a lot of stuff that was not allowed to be addressed so they just made this completely stripped down nobody upper crust guy yeah he just has an inscrutable relationship with his wife like that seems to be the only part of that biography they have in common yes knowing that the whole every woman knows that her husband's real love is a boat i was like is this Mo Coward's sly way of being like, I know that you're gay and it's fine because I'm having an affair with Nehru? <laughs> Which apparently was the situation that they had. Uh, yeah, like I, in that sense, the scenes between the two of them are kind of the most interesting in the film because I do spend a lot of time at least looking at the screen and going, what is happening right here? Like, he has such a dismissive relationship with her, but, like, comically dismissive. There's the one scene where they're having dinner where they just seem absolutely miserable. Like, that couple that you see in a restaurant where they're having dinner, but they're not really talking to each other, and then occasionally one of them says something and the other one is like, just eat your food. Yeah, it's like a reverse guess who's coming to dinner, where all other people, they go like, Ah, uh, yes, I remember our honeymoon when I broke down crying, understanding the kind of man you were. Ah, uh, but it was too short, wasn't it? Ah, uh, we really love each other, don't we? And you're like, do you? What is happening right now? Yeah, yeah. Their relationship, I would watch a movie that was about her and how she really felt. Like, I want the Mrs. Dalloway version of the wife in this movie. Or the older wife. Yeah. And then there's the younger guy who's not a captain on the boat, who's just a sailor, who meets his girlfriend and eventual wife on a train, and they have this kind of a meet-cute, and the movie sort of swerves into very typical 30s romantic comedy territory there, which was a bit of a relief, but was also really frustrating because it felt like I had been given that and then none of it had gone anywhere. You keep getting the first act of like five different genres of movie in this, like five or six, really. Because mm -hmm. there's also the weird Christmas fight between the Marine and the Navy men. Which goes nowhere. And also, who are those people? Yeah. 
then there's also also the apparently separate guy whose wife dies in the Blitz um, because she has claustrophobia and doesn't want to go down into the shelter. Right. Who is that lady? I think she is the same lady as... I think she's the one who is in the scene where the Navy men and the Marine fight. But boy, I would not put any fucking money on that. And it was just my best guess. There are four different plot lines of just crewmen in this that I could not tell the difference between like Flag's story and Shorty's story and Chief Petty Officer Walter Hardy's story. See, I thought at the end when all of the stuff came together where the captain and then one of his crewmen, how the crewman's wife was living with the captain's wife and mom and the captain's wife and mom died. None of that is the captain. It's the Chief Petty Officer. Okay, whatever. By the end of the movie, I was like, oh, so there's only been the two guys the whole time, but apparently not. (laughs) No. And the main way that you know that is the last scene of this film is just Noel Coward saying goodbye to everyone on the fucking boat. Literally, they do a couple of wipes, but you hear him say goodbye like easily 30, 40 times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was the other thing, too, is where they say that half of the people went down with the ship and you're all that remains and then they go through and everybody is getting a handshake or whatever and i'm like so so 30 people but it seemed like a really big boat i what yeah how many people we're talking about what is happening anywhere is so vague you get the sense that like no you don't even get the sense I was going to say, like, you get the sense that the life raft that, like, eight of them are hanging off of is a very small amount of the crew, but you don't really. You get the sense from seeing interiors of the boat that it's a big boat, but I could not tell you how many people were crewed on this boat to save my life. And it participated in Dunkirk, or... Yes? That was a weird thing. You know what this movie also gave me a great appreciation for, actually, is Mrs. Miniver? I was just about to say, because really when you were pitching, I would like to see this from the wife's point of view, you were pitching Mrs. Miniver. Right, yeah. And that's a better movie than this, by far. Oh, yes. Head and shoulders above. And I didn't love Mrs. Miniver, but I did care about, you know, some of the characters in it. I cared about Mrs. Miniver. I cared about the young girl. Basically, it's Mrs. Miniver, but reverse it where the old lady and Mrs. Miniver die instead of the young girl. Yeah. Or young woman. She's not a young girl. She's like 25 or whatever. Which is, so reverse the one good twist in that entire movie to be a typical movie. Right. Yeah. This was not a good film. No. I would say that the effects were actually pretty impressive, but really they were so distracting from getting me the story of the boat that I think they worked against the movie more than for it. I would agree with that. Honestly, the stuff shot by the Ministry of Information seems so out of pace with Noel Coward's stuff. Right. That the effect is mostly just oh, now we're back in, like, the high school film strip of how great the Navy is. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the overall effect, is that it is a propaganda film 
ineptly made because Noel Coward is trying to make a Noel Coward movie in the middle of it and can't actually swap over into making a World War II propaganda movie. So he just uses a lot of footage from one to do him having a stiff upper lip and asking servicemen to put the picture of his wife back on his desk after the Germans attack. (laughs) Yes. The effect is mostly just confusing. Yeah. You mostly just go, what is any of this? Which parts do I pay attention to? Why is this happening? Why is this happening in this order? Okay, I guess the whole movie is about how we're going to win World War II. But it is a very strange film and not a successful one. No, I I don't know that I would say that it is one of the worst movies that we've watched, but it was unquestionably the most confounding film that we've watched. It was one of the hardest movies to watch. I watched the last hour over again because I was certain that I had completely missed stuff. And I obviously did since I, you know, didn't realize that there were extra characters in it. I don't think any amount of watching this movie would make it comprehensible, to be honest with you. I just had to open up the Wikipedia page and like let the plot wash over me because trying to actually keep track of it, your brain just rebels at the prospect. I think that's a really perfect description. You would have to sit down Watch every scene, write down what happened, and make sure you really pay attention to everyone's name, and then make a flashcard for every character's name, because they never come back, or if they do come back, it's so incredibly in the background that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, oh, this person is around. (laughs) Okay. It really is to the point where I know intellectually that, like, I have seen Shorty before the scene where he gets a telegram that his son has been born. But if that was the first time I saw him, I would still have the same level of understanding of what was going on. It's not like there's a big scene where he's like, my wife is pregnant. Right. You see him meet his wife earlier in the film And then he gets this telegram. I think you hear that his wife is staying with the petty officer's wife. But I mean, you see the scene where they get bombed and she's under the stairs. And then there's a scene after that where she is lying in bed in the hospital and they tell her that, you know, the baby is okay. But yeah. God, you do? Because I have a memory of the wife that dies going like, I don't want to go down into the shelter. I feel trapped in there. And then just immediately zoned out until the telegram. So the point we're really trying to drive home here is this is a really confusing film. (laughs) Yeah. And not in an artistic way where it's supposed to be, and that's to its credit. It's just a failure of the film. Yeah, th- three. Oh God, I don't even know if I can go that high. Two. Okay. I think like I. I think two. I mean, if you can't follow the movie, that's really fair. Two is getting into this wasn't a movie territory, but so is this movie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely watched films that people said, oh, it was so confusing. I didn't get it. And then I've watched it and gone, okay, well, I can understand how like Memento or the first Mission Impossible is one of those two that people said that about when it came out. And I can get that there's a lot of surprises and twists and that you have unreliable narrator in one and on and on and on. 
But the film does coalesce at some point. Right. I think Mission Impossible is actually a really good example of a movie where I really could not tell you the plot of that film. I could not tell you (laughs) why anybody double crosses whatever Tom Cruise's character's name is in the Mission Impossible movies. I could not really explain to you what the bad guy's plan was. But when he's just hanging from the ceiling in the middle of Langley trying to, like, get something off a computer without sweating on the ground, I'm like, okay, I know what the objective is here. Right. I know why he's hanging from the ceiling and why I'm watching this scene. And I, for maybe three scenes of this movie, have a sense of why what is on screen is on screen. (laughs) Three scenes actually might be more than I have, so you're ahead of me. Obviously, don't watch this movie. (laughs) Even though it's free on Amazon and has like the wildest Amazon poster because it's like somebody like set up the poster for this in PowerPoint and exported it as a JPEG, (laughs) which is about what this movie deserves. But yeah, don't watch this movie. I mean, unless you just really feel the necessity to completely and utterly confound yourself. And even then, like, maybe just get high? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I... Yeah. It it does seem like a better use of your time. But next week... uh, We got Mickey Rooney. We got Mickey Rooney signal. Um, right? Nope. Uh Oh God! What what did I forget? Is it forty two? Not forty two. Forty three. Right, but this is a forty two. That's why this goes first, and so is Casablanca. Yep. Heck, uh, I was all ready to go. Like, oh shit, we have to wait until almost the end of the year. But no. But no. Which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm torn about it because I love Casablanca, and really, I I feel like we deserve something joyful. Yeah. But also, that means that everything else for this year comes after it, and this is their last year of ten nominees, so... Right. There's eight movies after this, and, like, there's no way the Academy didn't pick correctly. Like, I know what we're gonna say nine weeks from now. Yeah, it's gonna be Casablanca. Oh, that's a bit tough. But yeah, I'm looking forward to watching Casablanca this week, at least. Um, Maybe it'll just make this year easier because, my God, we all deserve a break. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, feel free to watch Casablanca along with us because it's beautiful and it's honestly one of my favorite movies of all time. You do not need us to tell you that you can watch Casablanca. So feel free to do so. And until then, it seems now insulting to say this was a movie by comparison. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess it was. Uh, Yeah. Well, scholars and historians will decide. (laughs) We're on the fence, certainly. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Goodbye. I should like to add that there isn't one of you that I wouldn't be proud and honored to serve with again. Goodbye. Goodbye.